Hello, everyone. This is Joshua Zapperzan, and welcome to the Innisfil Accelerates podcast. Super excited to be joining you today with our amazing guest, Sergio Navaretta. Sergio is an internationally recognized, award-winning director who is fiercely passionate about bringing meaningful content to the screen. He draws inspiration from Italian cinema and considers his work an exploration of the human condition, and Sergio currently calls Innisfil home. Sergio, welcome. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm super excited and looking forward to our discussion today. Joshua, thank you so much. I was excited as well and uh, looking forward to, to our conversation as well. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have such a, a really cool background and you've been part of some amazing films and worked with a number of talented individuals. But let's go back and, and tell us first about growing up and how you got into films originally. Yeah. I think the the most important practice that I've implemented in my life is gratitude. And it's easy to take this for granted. So when you're you're describing my career, my life, and you say, you know, I'm doing cool things, it's very easy to forget that or take it for granted. So I started very, very young. So when I was five, I started at the Royal Conservatory of Music. My mom was very musically inclined and, and thought the arts were very important. I don't know if she ever anticipated that I commit myself to a life in the arts. That's a whole other story. But yeah, so I started from the age of five playing accordion until I discovered how uncool that was, or at least I thought at the time. But what was cool is just the coordination. And and it's almost easier to do it when you have less baggage. And I really enjoyed that. And then I moved into vocals. So by the time I was 12, I won first place at the Royal Conservatory of Music in my age category. And as a result, we were asked to perform at a recital and in front of 500 people or whatever in an auditorium. And that was the first time I felt debilitating fear and anxiety. And I had no idea what it was. But yeah, so that more to come on that, that conversation later. But from music, I transitioned into film somewhere in my 20s. I was always fascinated by it, wanted to be a part of it, but it's just, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Toronto, so I didn't really know anyone in the business. It's not like some of my friends that grew up in Beverly Hills where their uncle is the editor of whatever, whatever movie, right? So I was running a business at the time. I was representing Canadian fashion designers. So I had this boutique, this store, and I was just sitting there thinking about my dreams and writing my goals out and listening to Deepak Chopra and Jim Rohn and others. And and in walks this guy who said, I made a movie. And I said, well, how did you do that? And so I just became so fascinated and enamored by the fact that guy that wasn't a Hollywood guy made a movie, it got released, and then it was out on VHS slash DVD. So it's like, how did that happen? So he took me under his wing and I literally volunteered for, I don't know, four years while I was working part-time and trying to make a living and waitering and whatever. And I just got caught up in the just the the magic of it, going to the Toronto Film Festival, hiding in washrooms so I could meet my heroes. At one point in my 20s, I was I posed as a journalist for syndicated news service. So I was anyway, when I think back, it's it's funny. I don't think about this often, but it just meeting my heroes, you know, getting to be at press conferences in the front line, listening to my heroes talk about their process and and that was my film school. It was being exposed to people like Robert Altman and Al Pacino and so many of the greats, Jeff Bridges, so many. And it wasn't until I met James Cameron. It was at the height of Titanic. He was 
doing a presentation of the film and it was the height and the frenzy of that movie. And I said to my friends, I'm going to meet James Cameron. And they all thought I was crazy. And it was, I mean, the odds of me meeting him were like 1%. And there were mobs of fans. And, you know, at that time, he was on every talk show in America. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet were all over the place. So there was a lot of excitement. And people were seeing that film two, three, four times. And I thought, man, this is magic. You know, this is the power of the medium was fascinating. So anyway, I tried to meet him at the screening. It was no go. There was like bodyguards. It was crazy. And then serendipitously, or some people would say coincidentally, I walked out and I went to the back of the hotel and I said, let me just use the bathroom before the long drive home back to Toronto. And out walks out James Cameron with his friend at the time, Susie Amos, who became his wife later. And he just basically said to me, if you want to be a director, just pick up a camera and shoot something. So that was like a lightning bolt that went off in my head. And, and it was just the advice that I needed to hear at the time that I heard it. And subsequent to that, I, I put an ad out in the newspaper and now magazine in Toronto. And I said, I'm making a movie. Anybody want to help me? And a hundred people showed up at a cafe in Toronto and none of us knew what we were doing. And, and that's what I, I found so beautiful about it is that we were just creating from a place of love and passion and not knowing anything. So. Oh, that's super cool. Innocent times. Oh, that's awesome. I think you said it perfectly there at the end, that passion piece. When you find that passion and that love, it's just becomes kind of easy and you love what you're doing and, and things just naturally flow and you get to meet cool people and it just, things happen. Things happen when you find that passion. So that's really cool to hear. How did you, you come to call Innisfil home and what is it about Innisfil that, that keeps you here? To be honest, initially it was, I had a mentor and a good friend, you know, we're still friends who encouraged me to buy investment property. He said, you know, you're an artist. You, sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't. So you need to find a property that generates income. So we had looked at various options and I found this beautiful place next to the lake with cottages on it in a main home. And that's really how it started just as, as an income property. And then I thought, wow, it's so beautiful. Why don't I enjoy it? So <laughs> I moved in and, and it was around the time when we were making that first film over a small cup of coffee. So I remember being in that house, it was empty. We didn't, I didn't have any furniture. And we just started plotting. And we sat on the beach, Innisfil Beach Park, with my cinematographer who was from Poland. And, and we just dreamt up shots and how we were going to do it. That's where my love affair with Simcoe County started, is really there and just the natural beauty and just being able to wake up in the morning and go for a swim and then spend an hour and a half commuting to the city for meetings or whatever. So that I really, I always loved that lifestyle. And to this day, it's comforting to come home. You know, I spent a lot of time in LA and different energy, right? So when you come back here, it's, it's very tranquil and, and it's a great place to live and, and raise a family. So outside of film production work, when you're home, what do you like to do in your, in your spare time? Biking, hiking, anything water. I love the water. So obviously canoeing, boating, one point I bought a sailboat, not realizing how much work that was. And right before I, or around the time when I bought it, I was doing the colossal failure of the modern relationship. So I remember being on that boat with the script in hand, just laying there, staring at the stars, dreaming up what it was going to be. And we took the boat out like two, three times. And then I had to park it on the driveway because I was busy making a movie. So nice. 
So what are you up to now? What's the latest project that you're working on? Well, I have several projects circling. It's kind of difficult post-pandemic or post-pandemic. We're still in it, but to kind of predict timelines. But there's two really exciting projects that I'm uh, attached to, which I can't say too much about. But we also optioned a best-selling crime book that we're developing into a series, which is another notoriously famous Canadian story that nobody knows about. And so we're excited to tell that story. And I'm just mentoring for various organizations, mentoring emerging artists, and I'm launching a podcast called Creativity Unleashed. So there's a few things happening that I'm extremely excited about and and always open to new ideas. That's awesome. Let's dive in and talk a little bit more about Innisfil and, and film production. How do you view Innisfil and, and Simcoe County as, as spots for film production in itself? Well, as we evolve to decentralize the industry, so as it starts to expand outside the city centers that are oversaturated at the moment, so every studio in Toronto right now is like packed, it always has been, it's just getting more and more busy. We have incredible tax credits, not to mention the dollar exchange with America. So a place like Simcoe County is appealing because you find great locations, you find real support and strategic partnerships with the community. And we've shot all our films in smaller towns. We've never shot in the big city. Well, other than Arctic Dogs, which was predominantly made in Toronto. But there's huge advantages being able to drive to work, (laughs) which is a good one. And just the, we'll call it the vibe. When your crew and your actors come up and you're in a serene place and you're in a beautiful place and environment, it just... There's more camaraderie and everybody just feels more relaxed generally. So, and just the natural beauty, right? There's so many assets here to tap into. And I think there's a ton of potential. And I think it's only the beginning. You know, we're in the early stages of many conversations about how we can expand that and make it more appealing to producers. The same way that Northern Ontario has been able to build a multi million dollar industry, some of that we consulted on as well. We did our first movie looking for Angelina there. And we learned so much. And then after that, they, they set up a fund, NOHFC. So there's, there's funding opportunities. There's a bump in the tax credit. You have incredible talent that choose to live in the North. And yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I think the places that, are chal- that we see challenges is just, frankly, hotel space, places for talent to stay. Even the commute is not a big deal. I mean, if actors fly into Toronto, it's easy to just commute them up to the region. So that part is fine. And and now with places like Friday Harbor, it's just, it's incredible. There, I mean, it's uh, all the potential is here. So on that note, what do you think Simcoe County and Innisfil can do to continue to compete with major productions in Toronto? You mentioned the hotel space. Uh, anything additional that you that comes to mind? Yeah, I think the the setting up an official film commission office that is a one stop shop, a go to place, is certainly helpful for producers because it saves them a lot of time and. It just makes it so appealing because someone who's in charge of locations that says, here's our database, this is what we have to offer. And, you know, a list of businesses and restaurants and craft service is all important. And then studio space and just knowing that it's a film friendly town is important to producers because then they know they don't have to build it every time. Like we've blazed some trails with our early films, even on the Cuban. I mean, we shot in Brantford, they had never really done film production before. So they learned a lot based on our experience and feedback. So it would just be nice to plug in to an already existing infrastructure 
And I think that's all coming because the community is just growing exponentially. Awesome. You mentioned the community. How important is it for a community to support the arts, including film? And and why do you think that it's so important from a community support perspective? Arts and culture often define who we are. And, you know, obviously the cultural mandate is important. It tells us a lot about ourselves. It's a way of expressing. It's a way, it's just, it's fundamental to our existence. You need arts and culture in a community to make it viable and just a a positive experience in general. But there's also the economic impact piece. It's, I think it was, according to the premier, $2.5 billion industry in Ontario last year. And uh, according to Minister McLeod and others, they want to double that to a $5 billion industry. So it's, there's a huge economic upside to having film and television in your community. It's not just, hey, let's promote Canadian culture. It's also with the advent of Netflix and others entering our space and wanting to make content here, we need to be ready for that. Awesome. On that note of, of the economy, when a film's being produced locally outside of those maybe initial more known reasons of how a film locally could benefit the economy, what are some other ways that producing something a film locally benefits the, the town's economy? Yeah. So as soon as the circus steps into town, we're out and about, we're shopping, we're eating at the local restaurants, we're using the, we're generally using the local accommodations, hiring local talent when possible. That's always ideal. So if there's a trained workforce, it's easy to step in and just, you want to hire locally and you want to, at least in our view, we've always wanted to be strategic partners with the community and really make a positive economic impact. The old model is you come in and pillage and take advantage of tax credits and resources and then you're off to the next thing. But I think there's an opportunity for a more sustainable model that really integrates the community and and just utilizes the local resources. Like I'll give you a practical example. You need, I don't know, paper. You're going to go to a local shop and, and buy paper or you need uh, props. Sometimes, you know, like on the Cuban, there was days where they had to source old record players. So you go to the local thrift shop and you find one or I mean, those are small examples, but then there's bigger impact pieces that have to do with restaurants and accommodations. And it's all measurable. I mean, the stats are out there. It's, this is not new. This is something that people have been doing for a very long time. And someone, a good city to look at is Hamilton. You know, they had zero film production and now they have tons of, they have a huge, robust film industry. So it, it is possible. It just takes focus and planning. It's interesting because you don't always realize those small things and think of those small items, but all those small pieces of the contribution back to the economy add up and add up large. And it's when you originally think of film production in an area, you know, don't necessarily go to that or, or think of that. So it's, it's interesting to put that into perspective and, and to provide that insight for sure. If you could or were to pick one thing that you'd like to see Innisfil do to capitalize on the Canadian film industry, what would it be? Build infrastructure or build a sustainable model that, like I said earlier, that, that producers can plug into. And what that looks like is probably a physical space, a studio space, a film commission office, and, and trained tradespeople. So training, retraining a workforce that maybe is not currently working. As we transition out of manufacturing, I mean, this has been happening for a very long time, and we move into the technology age and information age, we'll call it, People have to rethink 
careers. And so if there was a partnership with government and the private sector to make that happen, I think that would be ideal. And it would certainly, being so close to the Toronto and Innisfil's proximity to one of the major film hubs in the world is a huge advantage. And yeah, that's what I would see as a next step in, in the future of film and, and TV in Innisfil. Awesome. Um, tell us a little bit more about your view of Innisfil's growth. What was it like when you first came here to what it's like now? How have you seen it change and evolve? Yeah, it's, it went from cottagers, weekend cottagers, and then local residents living in cottages or smaller homes to an explosion of the middle class, like of people coming up from the city and more permanent residents planting roots here. And also, I've seen a huge shift in inclusion and diversity, which is important to me. And we're raising our son here. So I want him to grow up the way that I did with surrounded by different cultures and food and people from all over the world and just having an open worldview that fosters a, a curiosity to learn and to grow. And again, with major investments like Friday Harbor, you see cultural f- festivals, you see Christmas tree lighting ceremonies, fireworks, you see screenings, movies in the park, and you see a lot more families. When I first bought in Innisfil, I, I, people would never use the beach or the park. There was no lighting. There, you know, It was kind of a scary place to be at that time. And now it's it's idyllic. It's where everyone from the city would love to be. And I think that's what perpetuated a lot of the growth because you can still work in the city if you need to, but have this incredible idyllic life in a great community. So, Well, that's awesome. It's super important for towns like Innisfil to continue to grow and, and to continue to adapt to new things and, and change, especially when we look at the world today and, and what's occurring and what's going on and that continued innovation piece, I think, is so important for everywhere, and uh, especially for Innisfil and with film production too, which I think is awesome. So it's exciting to see the the changes in the growth opportunity for sure. Yeah, and that comes out of leadership. It's when you look at the library; it's world class library. The innovative ideas of the Uber Transit system, like I, you know, I sat on a lot of those conversations, and I was part of the inaugural team that put together the Arts Council and the community. So it's it takes leadership and it takes vision and having a mayor who's open and, and also supporting of these changes is important. A council that sees where we're going and, and, and can visualize the inevitable. Like growth is happening, whether they, people want it or not. It's, the parks are full at capacity. There's people everywhere. It's like that is all part of planning and just looking ahead 10 to 20 years and the current regime, the current team there is really forward thinking and and we're seeing the results and we're all benefiting as residents. So it's pretty awesome. That's awesome to hear. So speaking of 10 to 20 years, where would you like to see the town of Innisfil be in, in 10 years? Well, with the way things are going with it being a tech hub and embracing technology and being again so close to the city, I see the future as bright. I see a lot of innovation, entrepreneurship, creativity. It was always there. It was just, it took me a long time to meet all the visual artists in the, in the area and people that do woodworking and pottery. And there's writers here, there's film people, musicians. It was just, it's almost like they came here to hide and now everyone's just coming out. And that's amazing to see. So it's, yeah, the future is bright. And I don't know where urban centers are going to go in the future. 
I can't see that far ahead, but I definitely, we use common sense. I mean, it feels like less and less people are actually going to want to live in an urban metropolitan hub, at least people with families, they're going to want to move to places like Innisfil. So it's, I see expansive, explosive growth. And so, you know, if the leadership is, is supportive of that and forward thinking, I think it's going to be amazing. That's great. One thing that I think is really evident is your passion to want to give back and give back to the community, give back to other artists, give back to those that are inspired by the arts and, and film. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for younger individuals to get into the arts and, and film production and any pieces of advice to those that might be interested or thinking about a career in, in film or the arts? Yeah, it's. I never went to film school. I don't have an opinion about it either way, but I think some people need film school to get them inspired and to give them that foundation to then have the courage and inner fortitude to pursue it as a career. So if that's your thing, then do that. Go to a film school. I think beyond that, it's just doing it, just immersing yourself in it and meeting other artists and plugging in and being part of a community, whether it's joining the the guilds or the unions, being part of the industry, like every all these film festivals that have popped up all over Canada, they all have industry elements to it. So there's always opportunities to meet people. And you know, the advice I give all artists is just do it. It's we're always stopped by fear, and fear is debilitating and it could really crush dreams. So you have to be mindful of that. It's like when is fear creeping in? Embrace it. It's part of us. It's innately built into us. It protects us. But at the same time, we have things we got to do. And so for filmmakers, it's, it's really about just get a group of friends together, call up some actors and just do it. Love it. And I think your story is such an inspiration and how you got involved and started is such an inspiration to young artists and those wanting to be involved too. I love the story of, of how you met uh, James Cameron and pretending to be a journalist. I think that's awesome. It just shows grit and resilience and, and hard work and your passion and love for what you want to do. So I, I think that's super awesome. Before we end our conversation, Sergio, one kind of fun question to end that I love to ask guests uh, on the podcast is that if, if you could have a dinner party with any four people in the world, dead or alive, who's on your invite list? Oh, wow. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Plato, Stanley Kubrick, and... And I need one more. Dead or alive, you said? Frank Sinatra. Love it. That's a good invite list. That's a, that would be a fun dinner. <laughs> That's awesome. Somebody would be throwing glasses by the end. There's, there's <laughs> too much Italian in there, I know already. Oh, right on. Sergio, thank you so much for joining us today. You've shared some amazing insights, your story, your inspirational story, and you've provided a lot of great value to our listeners. And definitely Innisfil is proud that you're, you called it home and and great to have you there and, and all of your insight and advice. So I, I really enjoyed our time and our discussion. So thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you for creating this space and for continuing to inspire young and established entrepreneurs. So I really appreciate the opportunity and I love what you do. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening and tuning into this episode. We will see you next time.